Welcome to BioGist, where we give you the gist of biology at Duke University. I'm Christina, a senior at Duke, and today I'm here with Dr. Gustavo Silva. Dr. Silva, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Christina. Nice meeting you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Dr. Silva, what do you study? So, in my lab, we study how cells respond to stress. And I'm not talking about emotional stress. I'm talking about physical and chemical stress that pretty much every single cell will face in the course of its life. And to make sure that the cell is going to survive and going to do well and divide and grow, they need to have mechanisms to protect themselves against stress. And if they can't, that can be the causation of a lot of diseases, of problems, let's say, with plants and fish and animals. So it's really important to understand how cells respond to stress so we can actually control how they're going to do in other environments as well. That sounds really interesting. I was also wondering, is there a specific type of stress that you specialize in? Yeah, we do compare a bunch of different stresses, but one that the lab studies the most is oxidative stress. So we study oxidative stress in yeast and in human cells as well. So oxidative stress is one of the most prevalent stresses and can be generated by a lot of different sources. So it can damage lipids, it can damage proteins, it can damage your DNA, leading to a lot of mutations. So it's really important that the cells have a completely arsenal of protection and defense against those stress. That was a great description. I'm wondering if you could potentially give us an analogy of what oxidative stress might be like. This is an interesting question. I'm going to try to come up with something here to see if it makes sense. But imagine your house, right? You have your house and you have all the components that make it work, right? So you have uh, the walls of your house that would be very similar to either the cell wall of a plant cell or the plasma membrane of your cell. And then you're going to have small things that might happen to your house that your house needs to deal with so you can keep working in the way that it should, right? So let's imagine that you have a little bit of water coming in, right? And that water can damage furniture, it can damage your kitchen. So how do you do? So first thing that you could do is probably if it's coming from outside, you have to shut that door closed so you prevent more water to come in. But that water can also damage a lot of components inside. So what you have to do as your cell, you're going to have to fix those. Otherwise, things can go way worse, right? So the whole idea of responding to stress is once you are in that particular situation or your house, for example, is under a flood, what do you do? So you protect yourself, you repair what has been damaged, and you get rid of the stuff that you can not repair anymore, right? In our cells, we are doing the same thing. Our cells are preparing and protecting themselves against more oxidizers that might come. It also has a ton of repair systems for your DNA, for example. So your DNA, if it's get damaged and it has a mutation, your DNA is your recipe for life. So you have to repair those damages before the cells can keep dividing. That was an amazing analogy. So now that we kind of established what you study, why do you study that? So I was introduced to oxidative stress when I was an undergrad, and I didn't know much about it. But I think it was fascinating to just think about all those dimensions that our cells are constantly exposed to it. We know a lot of diseases, for example, they can be caused by oxidative stress. For example, neurological diseases like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. So it's very common, very prevalent, very important, but I never thought too much about what the cells need to do to then combat all that stress that is happening all the time. So there's always a fight between the cell's antioxidant capacity and the oxidizers that are being produced. 
So whoever wins that fight can have very important consequences to that cell and to that whole organism. So I never knew much about it, but when I was exposed to that as an undergrad, I thought it was fascinating. And then we started investigating many different things, many different aspects at the molecular detail. And I learned about the potential that this field could have. But not only that, I think as a scientist, I was always drawn by this idea of answering questions and this curiosity that we all have, right? As a kid, we all always playing with things and asking questions and trying to find answers for things that we don't understand. And I think a career in science is exactly like that. If you're in the biological sciences, there are so many questions that we don't understand. And it's a very rich field for us to explore. So the whole idea of having a profession that allows me to always tend to my curiosity is fascinating to me. That's great. I hope the same will happen to other Duke undergraduates, that they find their lab and fall in love with it and continue to have that curiosity for the biological sciences and the research it produces. I definitely hope that too. I think once you are immersed in a research experience, you're going to find a place and a field that is conducive to the type of research that you want to do. And if you're excited about it, I think you're going to find so many great things about doing this type of work. So now we establish what you study, why you study that. I was hoping you could answer, how do you study that? Okay, so I mentioned that we have this great response that the cells has to control a lot of different processes in the response to stress. So something that we are really interested in the lab is to study a very tiny protein that is called ubiquitin. So now I'm going to get into a little bit of detail of what exactly we study so I can tell you how we study that. So we study this very little protein called ubiquitin. And what is really interesting about ubiquitin is that it can be attached to other proteins. So it serves as a signal, pretty much imagine as a flag that you can add to other proteins. And that can change the fate or the function of that protein. So once that protein is flagged, you'll be degraded by a complex called proteasome and removed from the cell. But now we know that ubiquitin can control a lot of different functions. And what we are really seeing in the lab is that many different proteins, not only controlling the destruction of other proteins, but also the synthesis, the production of proteins can be regulated by ubiquitin. So we're really interested in seeing this key function of this tiny protein called ubiquitin in controlling multiple aspects of stress response. So in order to do this, right now, answering your question, we have those different cell types in the lab, let's say a yeast cell or human cells. We induce with different chemicals, we induce oxidative stress to them. And then we can take proteins out or DNA out or mRNA out. So you can take a lot of different molecules out of those cells and then do these studies at the protein level or at the transcription level, for example. So we have a, a bunch of biochemicals, cellular assays that we can use to really understand what the cell is doing. We are talking about this analogy of a house. Some proteins are going to be important for their first process, which is taking care and making sure that everything is protected. But some other proteins might be important for a late phase of stress response when you're actually repairing different components of that cell. So we also want to make sure that this time element is really put into account in our research so we can understand the entire process of the stress response and the key elements that are regulating this. That's incredible. I would imagine that every day in lab kind of brings a different day. Yeah, you're completely correct about it. And I think this is one of the reasons that my research is like this because it reflects my way of, of thinking science and working. And 
one of the great things about doing research is that you can also collaborate with a lot of colleagues that would have new tools and new techniques. The limit of our research is our creativity. We can do as much as our creativity allows, and we can have a lot of amazing resources and colleagues to, to answer that question. So you've given great answers of what you do inside the lab. What's one thing you love doing outside of work? I would say that before COVID, soccer was something that I always enjoyed doing. So I played soccer my whole life. It's something that I miss a lot because I haven't been playing over a year. But a new hobby that I gained during COVID is gardening. So I start gardening. Last year, I started a little bit late. So the winter came before some of my crops were ready. But I'm starting again right now. But I had some amazing carrots, for example. And this year, I'm starting and testing a lot of different crops and see how they do. So it's a very cool way to be connected to, to the earth and see the development and start asking questions, right, about plant development that I think is fascinating just to see how the little seed, right, it has all the information it needs to become a whole plant. So it's amazing to watch them develop, watch the differences between each one of them. So it's, sometimes it's hard to take out the, the scientist and me and uh, always asking questions and seeing how they develop. And then eventually you're also going to have a lot of products, which is super cool too. That is such a cool hobby to have picked up. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Silva. And thank you to the listener for joining us at Biogist. Also, thank you to the Duke University Biology Department for supporting this podcast and Pottington Bear for the music. See you next time.